Welcome to Columbus Perspective, a weekly public affairs presentation of The Fan. I'm Dave James. In a moment, Kate Burdett talks with somebody from the city about Winterfest, which is coming up Saturday in downtown Columbus, but in a new location. Courtesy of our sister station, WBNS 10 TV, Doug Petcash talks with leaders from three local entities that help those in need this time of year the Columbus Urban League, the Mid Ohio Food Collective, and the Salvation Army. And in about 45 minutes, I'll talk with Dr. Ariana Howitt, Executive Clinical Director of the On Our Sleeves Initiative at Nationwide Children's Hospital. I'm Kate Burdett, and coming up in just under a week on Saturday, December 2nd, the City of Columbus Department of Recreation and Parks has a wonderful event planned. It's an annual event that's been going on for a while, and it's in a new location. It's Winterfest 2023, and today I'm joined by Dominique Shank. She is the Community Relations Chief for the Columbus Recreation and Parks Department. Welcome, Dominique, to Columbus Perspective. We're so excited about Winterfest. Thank you so much for having us. How many years have we been having Winterfest now? So Winterfest Columbus is returning for the sixth year in downtown Columbus. Wow. Okay. But it's a new location this year, isn't it? That is correct. This year, the event will be free, and it will be held on Saturday, December 2nd from 11 a.m. to 4 p.m. at Dorian Green. For those not familiar with Dorian Green, which I thought was someone's name at first, (laughs) where exactly is that located? Dorian Green is located on the front side of Coastside. Okay, so it's kind of across the river. I think the last time, and it was a couple of years ago that I attended the Winterfest event, it was uh, Bicentennial Park, but they've got some other stuff going on over there. Yeah, so Dorian Green is located on the front of Coastside. So on the back of Coastside, across the river, you have some other parks. But on the front is the front of of Coastside, down where your parking is, your parking garage is. And it is very close to the parking area, so that's super convenient. And this is a wonderful family-friendly event. It's got something for the grown-ups, something for the kids. Tell us what you have planned for Winterfest this year. Absolutely. So this is a great way to celebrate the winter season and all it brings. So, you know, we encourage people to come out with your friends and your family and your neighborhood and your neighbors. There's something to do for everyone and something for everyone to enjoy at Winterfest Columbus. The event features will be some of the best local food and drinks and musical performances. Uh, We encourage individuals age 21 and older who will be able to purchase seasonal craft beers as well as seasonal craft craft beers at uh, Winterfest Columbus. The cocktails will include bourbon, spice, chai, cider made with Middle West spirits, bourbon, and Simple Times mixers, as well as some uh, bourbon cream hot chocolate Mm. featuring Middle West spirits, bourbon cream and wine and coffee and and chocolate hot chocolate. So, you know, there's a lot for uh, the, the kids to enjoy. But there's a whole lot of extra for our 21 and over crowds to enjoy, too, when it comes to the bourbon. We encourage um, our our Winterfest attendees to warm up with a sample of bourbon. (laughs) Sounds like a perfect idea. Absolutely. 
Absolutely. Columbus Winterfest 2023 is happening next Saturday, the 2nd of December on Dorian Green, which is on the south side, as Dominique mentioned, of Kosai. They have a fantastic playground there. So if you are planning on taking the kids to Winterfest, they'll have a really good time. There's also going to be other activities and photo ops. And I'm on the website right now. It's winterfestcolumbus.com looking at the lineup of food trucks, and I have to admit, my mouth is watering. I'm very excited to try out some of these food trucks. Some of the food trucks we'll be having are uh, local food food trucks, so we want people to come down hungry. You can enjoy the Fork in Nigeria, Paddy Wagon, Pete Abilities, Pizza College, the Queen's Table, Smith Sausage Truck will be there. Um... Eiffel Street Food, the Galaxy Coffee, and Tortilla Street Food. So there's a lot of different food options for everyone to be able to come out and enjoy. It's a very diverse lineup of culinary treats, and the food is going to be sold with a bonus kind of for a good cause angle, isn't it? Yes, yes, it it will be this year. We are um, looking forward to being able to have sampling experience featuring some of our local breweries so you can come out and enjoy uh, some samples with seasonal brews from Jackie O's and the Columbus Brewing Company and the Wolf the Wolf's Fridge Brewing Company but this is this is a great treat for um, you know families to come out and enjoy and we can't stress that enough. And is it true that a portion of food sales will be benefiting the Mid-Ohio Food Collective? Absolutely. So we partner year round with the Mid-Ohio Food Collective. And this year we wanted to make sure that we highlighted our partnership with them by donating a portion of the proceeds from our uh, food sales back to the Mid-Ohio Food Bank. Dominique Shank is the Community Relations Chief for Columbus Recreation and Parks, and she's busily planning for Winterfest on Saturday the 2nd. Live music. I understand we're going to have quite a great lineup of bands and performers for that. Right, Dominique? Absolutely. Winterfest Columbus will host some great live musical performances, including RJD2, popular Columbus space, uh, uh, an internationally recognized DJ and producer will be um, at Dorian Green for Winterfest Columbus. And we'll also enjoy some live performance from Honey and Blue and the George Barry Band and DJ Access will be spinning throughout the day. It sounds like it's going to be a really fun and festive atmosphere for all. We are really looking forward to this. Absolutely. We cannot wait. We look forward to this. You know, I would like to say warm and cozy event, but it'll probably be cold that day. What a great opportunity to get out, get some fresh air, enjoy one of uh, Columbus's great outdoor park spaces, and to enjoy a, a great diverse lineup of food vendors, the the spirits, as Dominique mentioned, we will have uh, craft beers, craft cocktails being offered. And don't forget, as we just said, the 10% of all food sales at the Winterfest event will be benefiting the Mid-Ohio Food Collective. Um, I heard something about mechanical reindeer. Is that true as well? I do know that. Well, we'll have a giant snow globe um, photo opportunity. They'll be offering cornhole. And then the playground at Dorian Green is built for with families in mind. Um, 
I would say that there have been many requests for mechanical reindeer, and it is something that they are promising that they would be able to work on this year. No guarantees. (laughs) All right. Well, that'll be a fun surprise if that's able to come through. Um, Again, Saturday, December 2nd, 11 a.m. to 4 p.m. It is Columbus Winterfest 2023 on Dorian Green, just on the south side. It's the front of COSI. It's hard to miss. And it is free for all to come and enjoy. Uh, Dominique Shank, thank you so much for your time today and for sharing the details of this wonderful event. We will see you at Winterfest. Thank you so much for having us. We're looking forward to seeing you there. This is Columbus Perspective on the Fan. Coming up in a couple of minutes, Doug Petcash from our sister station, WBNS-10TV, talks with people from three entities in town that help those in need during the holiday season. Uh Uh-oh, Brad's buzzed. Oh, yeah? Yeah, he's starting with the woots. (laughs) And now a speech. I just want to say that friendship is about heart. Heart and brain. Who's with me? Good thing is, he knows when he's buzzed. And my brain is saying, when it's time to go home, somebody call me a ride. Love that guy. Me too. Know your buzzed warning signs? Call for a ride when it's time to go home. Buzz driving is drunk driving. A message from NHTSA and the Ad Council. Sunday, a day of rest, relaxation, and Cleveland Browns football. Catch the Browns and Broncos from Denver. Live coverage starts Sunday at 2 on 1460 ESPN and the Fans HD2. Your radio home of the Browns, the Fan. A warning for dog owners about a new mystery illness has racked up thousands of views on social media. Highly contagious. Highly, highly, highly contagious. It starts with a cough. It does not respond to antibiotics or medication. And vets are warning that it is extremely fatal. But are the warnings warranted? Let's verify. Is a mystery illness spreading among dogs across the U.S.? The American Veterinary Medical Association and multiple state veterinary associations confirm that there is an unknown respiratory illness that is spreading among dogs. Cases have been reported in Oregon, Colorado, New Hampshire, Massachusetts, and Rhode Island. Veterinarians say it starts off as a cough that can last for a few weeks and can progress to severe pneumonia. According to the Oregon Medical Veterinary Association, it doesn't usually respond to antibiotics or other medications. As for warnings about the illness being extremely fatal, David Needle, a senior veterinary pathologist at the University of New Hampshire, who's been studying the illness since it emerged last year, says it very rarely is fatal, but usually is not. So we can verify, yes, a mystery respiratory illness is spreading among dogs in the U.S. Veterinarians say they haven't been able to identify what's causing it. But to be safe, experts recommend avoiding dog parks and boarding your pet and to make sure your dog is up to date on its vaccines. With your Verify, I'm Ariande Till. Parenting is hard. Technology can make it harder. The family media plan developed by the American Academy of Pediatrics helps make it easier. Go to healthychildren.org forward slash media plan to create the media plan that's right for your family. Whether you make a full plan or just choose a few parts that matter the most to your family, HealthyChildren.org forward slash media plan is an easy to use tool that will help your family set media priorities and create healthy digital habits in line with your family's values. You'll also get practical tips to help make the plan work. And you can come back to revise your plan as often as you need to, like at the beginning of each school year or during summer and holiday breaks. Raising kids in the age of screens is easier when you have a plan. 
go to healthychildren.org forward slash media plan and make your plan today. This is Columbus Perspective on the Fan. Good Sunday morning to you. Ahead today on Face the State, nonprofits on a holiday mission. The holidays, a time of joy for many, a time of struggle and stress for others, a time of giving, a time of need. Nonprofits across central Ohio are working to meet the need and make the holidays a little brighter. They're providing housing for the homeless, food for families, toys and coats for kids. Coats for Kids has been one of our dream programs. We really get um, a thrill out of being able to make sure that um, those individuals who need coats for the winter have the opportunity to get a new coat, right? Um, And so we don't take for granted that every kid um, and all families have the ability to buy new coats. It all adds up to hope on the holidays. Today, we're focusing on the missions of three nonprofits, the Columbus Urban League, the Mid-Ohio Food Collective, and the Salvation Army of Central Ohio. What they do, who they help, and how you can support them in carrying out their missions. This is Columbus Perspective on the Fan. Courtesy of our sister station, WBNS 10 TV, here's Doug Petcash from his Sunday morning public affairs program, Face the State. A new edition can be seen this morning at 1130 on 10 TV. Welcome to Face the State. I'm Doug Petcash. The holiday season is definitely upon us. Maybe you've started your gift shopping or putting together your guest list and your menu. Nonprofits have been in the thick of it for a while now, prepping to meet the needs in our communities. As I mentioned, we're featuring three of them who are really making a difference in helping people in all kinds of ways. We start with the Columbus Urban League. It's been around for 105 years now. Its mission is to champion a fully inclusive economy by dismantling systemic barriers faced by black and urban communities and investing in people's strengths and gifts to stabilize families and grow wealth. And this time of year, it also puts smiles on kids' faces and keeps them warm, too. I'm joined now by Columbus Urban League President and CEO Stephanie Hightower. Stephanie, thank you so much for being here today. Thank you, Doug. Well, hey, first of all, let's just talk about the overall mission. Throughout the year, what is the focus of the Columbus Urban League and, and how do you carry it out? Well, you know, we have been around, as you said, for 105 years, and we are a social justice civil rights organization, and we focus on social mobility, economic mobility, um, and uh, workforce. In particular, we are interested in strengthening those families from the African-American community and the historically underrepresented communities. You know, as the weather turns colder, we think about people who may be homeless or maybe on the precipice of losing their homes. What does the Urban League do to really help people stay in their houses? Well, you know, um, landlord-tenant mediation is one of our focus areas, and so if there are individuals who are having some issues with their landlords, maybe you haven't had an opportunity to pay your rent for whatever reason, uh, you might be behind, and so we are here to help mediate that. Uh, we also um, have, uh, from the city of Columbus uh, and the county, we still have one last tranche of those dollars from the Biden administration to help individuals with their rent, um, with their mortgages, with utilities. And so if there are people who are struggling, especially during the holiday season when we know, you know, people really, really um, have a lot of stress on them, they can call the Urban League and we can see if if they qualify for some of those funds. How big is the need that you're seeing this year? 
Well, the need is huge. Uh, it continues to be big uh, with the economy the way it is. People are still jobless um, or they uh, are in need of upskilling. Uh, there are still a lot of people who cannot pay their mortgages and that cannot stay ahead of their rent um, mm -hmm. and pay the utilities. Um, living off of less than $15 an hour in wages uh, does not, uh, people can't afford to live like that anymore. And so we are seeing that increase, especially in African-American women um, mm -hmm. ages 55 and older. Uh, we are seeing um, the need for uh, choice housing for those individuals. Um, at, speaking of upscaling, you're, you're starting to launch some new job training programs, I guess in particular because of the, the tech surge here in central Ohio. What do you have going on? So, you know, we're very much interested in making sure that we prefer, uh, prepare those historically underrepresented individuals um, in the tech fields. And so you have Intel, you have Google, you have Amgen, you have those, those, those uh, companies that need those technicians. And so we're looking at certificated programs for people um, or possibly getting you into to Columbus State for a one-year or an associate's degree, uh, degree. So we're hoping that folks will come to the Urban League, find out more about those programs. All right. Um, let's talk about one of the, the programs that's specific for this time of the year, and that's the Coats for Kids Drive. Um, what does that mean to the organization to be able to do that for these families and, the, and these kids? Well, you know, Coats for Kids has been one of our dream programs. We really get um, a thrill out of being able to make sure that um, those individuals who need coats for the winter have the opportunity to get a new coat, right? Um, and so we don't take for granted that every kid um, and all families have the ability to buy new coats. We know that young people in particular, they grow like weeds. <laughs> and so the coat last year may not be good for this year. And so being able to come and get a coat um, for your kids is one of those things that we take pride and being able to uh, do for the community. And you help a lot of kids. Do you know how many? We usually probably do around 400 every year. Wow. Um, and, you know, I have to say last year we even had some additional coats that, that we had to uh, end up sending out to some other um, uh, nonprofits. So um, if we do, we, we like we have a great nonprofit community. So if sure. we don't disseminate all of them, <laughs> some of our nonprofit partners get them. You know, talking about tackling some of these issues, um, it really does take collaboration with different organizations, doesn't it? Well, that's what, you know, the Human Services Chamber in particular is really bringing all of the nonprofits together so that we do know who has what services available. And that's why the Human Services Chamber is really so important um, to this community. And um, just really Mr. Corey and what he's doing with all of us, we're able to collaborate and make sure that our community, um, the needs are being met. Um, from a lot of different entities. And back to Coats for Kids, do, do families have to sign up? How does that work? Well, as soon as you can go on our website, and uh, yes, you do have to sign up, but on the day that coats are um, being disseminated, you can show up. Um, if you have a young person and you are in need, um, we will make sure that we service you. And it sounds like you have a good um, outpouring of support from the community to you had extra coats last year. Absolutely. Uh, we have found that the folks in the retail industry, um, they step up. We also have private donors who also step up to be able to give us the resources we need to purchase those coats. Stephanie, thank you for your time today and for the good stuff that the Urban League is doing in the community. Thank you, Doug, for thinking about this human service agencies. Absolutely. That's the whole show is about today. So again, Stephanie, thank you very much. And for more information on the services the Columbus Urban League offers, you can find their website at 10tv.com. Just click 
click on the featured links tab. You can also donate to the Coats for Kids Drive online and learn about other ways to get involved. You'll also find featured links on the other two nonprofits we are featuring this morning. And speaking of that, still ahead on Face the State, their vision is to create hunger-free and healthier communities. As we see rising costs for housing, for energy, for food, um, families have to make that difference up somewhere. And the one part of a family's budget that has some wiggle to it is their food budget. Next, how the Mid-Ohio Food Collective aims to do that and the need it's expecting this holiday season. And a little later, it's an army that fights to uplift people by providing basic needs and life-changing programs. We'll look at the mission of the Salvation Army and how we at 10 TV are lending a hand with that this holiday season. Columbus Perspective is a public affairs presentation of WBNS Radio. The opinions expressed on this program are those of its guests and do not necessarily reflect those of WBNS Radio, its staff, management, or sponsors. When it comes to a gun suicide attempt, all it takes is a moment. Heather and I had an argument just like any other couple. I was lost. I had snapped. I had a gun, and I was going to take my own life. Heather helped me realize that there was still a life to live for the better of myself, my family, my weapon is now safely put away. A moment of crisis can happen to anyone. Store your guns, locked, unloaded, and away from ammo. Hear more safe stories at endfamilyfire.org. Brought to you by Brady and the Ad Council. When you take a walk around your neighborhood and notice all the things that make it feel like home, like all the houses lying neatly together in a row, or your neighbor, Miss Rita, who always waves at you when you drive down the street, or that movie theater in the strip mall that might look a little worn down but has the best popcorn you've ever tasted. One thing might be a little harder to notice because somewhere tucked in that neat row of houses is hunger. It could be your next door neighbor or your co-worker or your daughter's friend from school because over 30 million Americans don't know where their next meal is coming from. Hunger lives in neighborhoods all around us but it doesn't have to. Together, we can provide a billion meals by 2030 because everyone should be welcome at the table. Learn more at nourishingneighbors.com. Let's break the cycle of hunger together. This is Columbus Perspective on the Fan. Back to Doug Petcash, courtesy of 10TV. Welcome back to Face the State. I'm Doug Petcash. Nonprofits meet a huge need all year long and certainly in the holiday season. Today, we're focusing on three. The Mid-Ohio Food Collective's mission is to end hunger one nourishing meal at a time today, tomorrow, and for a lifetime. Joining me now to talk about this is Senior Vice President of Communications for the Collective, Mike Hochran. Mike, thanks for being here today. Glad to be here, Doug. Well, hey, ending hunger is a big goal. How does the Mid-Ohio Food Collective aim to do that? Well, we start by making sure that our neighbors are able to access fresh, nutritious food at a time when they need that. And we've been doing this for over 40 years. Uh, and now we serve over half a million Ohioans every single year. And that's from Columbus to Steubenville, Marion down to Chillicothe, across a wide swath of the state. And we wow. start by making sure people can access that food when they need it most. And, and how do you do that? You have like a lot of member organizations. That's right? right. So we have over 600 partner agencies in every community across the state in the areas that we serve. And so these are food pantries, soup kitchens, senior feeding programs and the like. And so we're able to uh, access an incredible amount of food and get it out in the community. Where it's and you have a, a large 
operation right here as well, right? That's right. We're headquartered in Grove City, Ohio, and then we use our warehouse and logistics to help serve the entire state. That is really awesome. So I saw on your website that people who are eligible to get help from the organization are missing, on average, 52 days of eating a year. That's just kind of staggering to hear that. Isn't it incredible in this community that there are people who don't know where their next meal is going to come from? And we would think that that's something that should be rare or really never happen at all. But the reality is that so many of our neighbors are one bad day away from needing to ask for help to keep food on their tables. How big is the need this holiday season? Well, the need this year already is bigger than it has ever been, well above even during the peak days of the pandemic. So as families look at the rising costs of food, of housing, childcare, all these factors just put strain on families' budgets. And so then when you come to the holiday season, when the whole idea is bringing your family together, everyone at the table with food together to celebrate, um, that's the time when when that pain is felt the most. And, you know, I talked about the uh, the stress and the struggle for, for some families at this time of year. Knowing that they can come to an organization like yours, must feel good for you and and all the volunteers and the staff you have to know that you are taking a little bit of that away for people. Absolutely. We know that we're helping thousands of families every single day in order to know where their next healthy meal is going to come from through our partner network and all the services we provide. And we know that behind every one of those numbers is a family, are real people, seniors, kids, working adults whose lives are better for the uh, food they're able to access. As they say, every statistic actually has a name. That's exactly right. No no doubt about it. So, um, do you have anything special going on this holiday season, or is this just the time when you know that people will will turn out to, to help you? Well, we know that the need is there throughout the year. Hunger doesn't take a holiday. Right. Uh, it just so happens during the holiday season is when people come out the most. And so we work with our partner network to have um, the fixings that you would need around the holiday season. So we source extra sweet potatoes and onions and stuffing and those things that really make a holiday a holiday. And so that's happening across many of our, of our partner sites. Uh, But we know that come January 1st or December 26th, there will still be people who need the help, which is why we look for support for this season and throughout the year. And do you need volunteers? Do you need, you know, donations? How can people help now? Sure. So donations are a great place to start. For every dollar donated, we can distribute up to $4.89 worth of groceries. So every dollar, every little bit can go a long way to feeding our neighbors. But for people who want to volunteer... There's a need for that during the holiday season. Everyone wants to help hand out pies, right? Right. But we really need volunteers, particularly in January and February, when you're on the other side of the holidays, but your neighbors still really need that help. So we tell people hunger doesn't take a holiday, and they can sign up now to volunteer, make a New Year's resolution to do that for uh, right after the first of the year. Yeah, with nonprofits I've been involved with, the three months leading up to January 1st were always the biggest months for fundraising. Mm -hmm. So... I would assume that it's pretty similar for you, but then you're able to stockpile some of that money and the non-perishables that that can carry you into the slower donation months. That's absolutely right. So our services, whether it's the core food programs we do or our food is health programming, our mid-Ohio markets, which are these no-cost grocery store places where people can come shop for the food that they need and also access other services to stabilize their family, those are operational year-round. So this is a great time for people to show their support and commit to making sure their neighbors have access to the food they need, and then we can use that to make sure people can get help where and when they need it all year long. And go to mofc.org for more information or to find out how to help or donate, right? That's the place to go, mofc.org. I, I do want to turn back the clock because this all started about 40 years ago, mm-hmm. I think you told me, and um, 
How did it start and then how does it compare from, from that beginning to what you're doing now? So the idea of food banking is you have hungry people and extra food and you put them together. In that first year in 1980, we distributed about 200,000 pounds of food, a big impact in this community. Sure. Last year, we distributed nearly 80 million pounds, which is enough food for 180,000 meals every single day. So it's grown exponentially, but the need has grown as well. And so we are grateful to the support of this community and our private, uh, public, as well as individuals who all make this possible. Definitely filling the need. I mean, but that's just, that is kind of, it's amazing when you think 200,000 to now 80 million. Mm -hmm. Wow. But we measure the impact of our work, not just in pounds or families sure. served, but in the health improvements that we're able to, to see. So sometimes it, someone's just having one really bad day or week, we're able to get them over the hump and then they can go back to work, their kids can get back to learning, and that's what our, that's what it's really all about. All right. Mike Hochran with the Mid-Ohio Food Collective. Thank you so much for all the good work your organization is doing and for your time here today. Thank you, Doug. Appreciate you. Well, for more information on the services the Mid-Ohio Food Collective offers, you can go to 10tv.com and click on the featured links tab. You'll find the collective's website there. As I mentioned, it's mofc.org. You can also make a donation, learn about other ways to get involved, and you'll find the, feature, the featured links on the other two nonprofits we're featuring this morning. As you already heard from the Columbus Ur Urban League and still to come today, the Salvation Army. Still ahead on Face the State Hope marches on this Christmas. For the families coming out for this, this means a lot of excitement. It means a lot of celebration. It's also a tremendous relief for the parents that were afraid they might not be able to provide the kind of Christmas their kids deserve this year. How the Salvation Army of Central Ohio is working to make spirits brighter. One in four Americans today are living with a disability. I'm one of them. I care deeply about creating a world we can all fully participate in, free from stigma, misperceptions, and barriers. And we've got a trusted ally on our side, an organization we can rely on, Easter Seals. Rooted in communities nationwide, Easter Seals helps empower millions of people, regardless of age or disability, through its life-changing services and powerful advocacy. Today and every day, Easter Seals is leading the way to full equity, inclusion, and access to health care, employment, and education for people with disabilities, families, and communities. That's my Easter Seals. Make it yours. Learn more and get involved at EasterSeals.com. Every 40 seconds, a child is reported missing. That's 2,000 children every single day. It's a heart-wrenching reality that we can no longer ignore. Find the Children is a nonprofit organization dedicated to helping find missing kids. You can be a part of their mission by donating your unwanted vehicle, running or not. Call 1-800-294-0222. We guarantee that you will receive the maximum tax deduction. We provide fast, free pickup with 24-hour response. Call 1-800-294-0222. 0222. Find the Children provides crucial resources to help find missing children and educational materials to teach kids how to recognize and avoid predators. Our recovery programs have a proven track record of reuniting kids with their families. It's time to act. Donate your unwanted or unused car. Help us build a world where every child is safe. Pick up the phone and call 1-800-294-0222. Together, we can bring these kids home safely. This advertisement was paid for in partnership with Cars R Us and Find the Children.
The YMCA is just a starting line for the true self blooms only when we find our purpose, what makes us tick below the surface. My why is diversity and unity, a safe space in my community, living with sincerity, giving every day my everything. With my why, I stand strong, seen and supported all along. It's a million faces in a mirror and everyone belongs. Find your why. Learn more at YMCA.org for a better us. This is Columbus Perspective on the Fan. Back to Doug Petcash, courtesy of 10TV. Welcome back to Face the State. On its website, the Salvation Army of Central Ohio says it is on the front line of the war against poverty every day. It offers many services to provide housing, food, help with utility bills, and to give a Merry Christmas to a lot of kids who may not otherwise have one. That's where 10TV helps out as well. Joining me now are Major Tricia Brennan with the Salvation Army and 10TV Community Affairs Director Angela Pace, who's going to talk about the big 10TV toy drive for the Salvation Army. First of all, both of you, thanks for being here today. Appreciate you so much. Now, Major Tricia, you serve Franklin, Delaware and Union counties. Yes. A lot of people, of course. How big is the need you're seeing this year at the Salvation Army? The need we're seeing this year is larger than we've seen in the past. Um, Every program and participation is up in all of our programs and services, and that's consistent through all the counties that we serve. And is it those issues we hear about, of course, you know, housing costs, inflation? It is. The highest requests we're getting right now are for rental assistance, utility assistance, and our pantry visits are up almost double over what they were last year. Now, the the Red Kettle campaign is always your biggest fundraiser. Do you still need bell ringers this year? We absolutely need bell ringers. We have about 12,000 volunteer hours we have to cover for all of our locations and so we are wow. desperately in need of bell ringers this Christmas. I was looking at the, uh, the website yesterday and, and, and looking through some of the, the areas of need so if people know where they can help out they can go right to the website and see where you still have spots open. Absolutely. Okay. Yeah. And so uh, moving into Christmas now you have the toy drive how many kids do you uh, are you able to give presents to in the Christmas? Last year, we were able to give over 11,000 children Christmas gifts, and that's all because of the support we have from the Big Ten TV toy drive and all of the wonderful individuals that are in this community coming together to help everyone out. And Angela, it's been going on for about a decade now. Um, How can people help? How can they donate? How can they get involved with the Big Ten TV toy drive to help these kids? We have so many ways for people to help out. First of all, we have incredible partners, just really great partners, some who've been with us from the very beginning. And they have collection boxes at their places of business. So we've got Walmart, who is back with us this year. Uh, Yes. And then we've got Reichert Automotive, um, Safe Harbor Retirement Group, and of course, our longtime friends, the Columbus Blue Jackets. So you will see the collection boxes at these locations throughout Central Ohio, and you can drop toys off there. We also have a Click it, and I always get this messed up because I'm not a techno person at all. (laughs) Click it, ship it, gift it option so that you can go on a website wherever you do your online shopping and you can send those toys then right here to 10TV as part of the big 10TV toy drive. And we'll make sure, of course, that they get to the Salvation Army. Um, Talk about the, uh, the, the 
the partnership with the Blue Jackets, oh. too, because they do something that's pretty cool for this. The Columbus Blue Jackets, and I love you guys, have been our partners from the very beginning. So we have collection boxes at Nationwide Arena, of course, at the Blue Line stores at Polaris and Tuttle, I think it is. I should know this by now. And then we also have uh, collection boxes at their chiller houses, their ice rinks throughout town. But the fun thing that the Blue Jackets do for us is they have a collection day at one of their home games that is close to the toy drive. This year they upped it. This year they're going to have collection days on two home games. So it will be on December 8th and on December 10th. And all the Blue Jackets fans who come to those games, we're encouraging them to bring toys and drop them off in the boxes there to help make kids happy this Christmas. They certainly do. How much does this toy drive help out to to meet that need of 11,000 kids every year? We couldn't do what we do without the toy drive, so it helps out immensely with all of the children that we have the toys for, absolutely. And uh, Angela, what drives 10TV to do this? Well, it's a the major and I were just talking. We had a uh, one of their longtime board members who used to work with us as part of the family who got us on board with it, and that was more than ten years ago. But we did it. Larger than that is our community stewardship. Mm-hmm. Here at Ten TV, we are very, very committed to doing what we can to uplift this community. And what better way than to make sure that. Kids have happy Christmases. Yeah. So the toy drive is definitely a labor of love for us. Yes, yeah, so we don't just cover the community. We're part of it. Absolutely. Community. Absolutely. And Major Tricia, how are the, how, what are some easy ways that, that people can help out, if they're able to, of course? Easy ways to help out are certainly bell ringing and volunteering if they want to do something like that. As Angela said, bringing toys to the, the toy boxes. We also do a food portion of our Christmas distribution, which is called our Red Box. That's the Christmas dinner and Christmas breakfast. Um, they can donate to that to help, you know, fill out the entire Christmas experience. There's lots of ways to help out with the salvation. And angel tree, too, right? Mm-hmm. Yes, the angel tree tags, you'll see them at some businesses. You'll see them at some other malls. Um, you'll also see red box cards, too, similar on the tree, where you can donate to the actual red box or angel tree program. And isn't it amazing, too, when you think about somebody comes out, they might only have six cents. You know, to put in the red kettle, but boy, that adds up. Everything adds up. There is no gift too small that helps someone else out in need. We have people who have come through the toy drive line every year. It gets to the point where we recognize Mm -hmm. them, and there's a couple that brings bikes. They bring five or six kids' bikes Mm -hmm. with helmets and shin guards and the whole bit. So it really does become a toy drive family after a while. Mm -hmm. It is so good, And, and this community really does seem to be giving, doesn't it? This is an incredibly generous community. Got to have that kind of help to be able to do what you do. You really thank do. you and your staff and your volunteers for covering such a wide swath of ground, but just you know so many people that you help as well. Well, thank you. And I hope that the donations and the bell ringers <laughs> volunteer and show up to help you out this year. Major Tricia Brennan, Angela Pace, thank you for being here today to talk about thank these you. wonderful efforts that are going on in our community. Thanks. Thank you. And for more information on the services the Salvation Army of Central Ohio offers, you can find their website at 10tv.com. Just click on the link, the featured links tab, that is. You can also make a donation there and learn about other ways to get involved. You'll also find links on the other two non 
nonprofits we featured this morning. Those are the Columbus Urban League and the Mid-Ohio Food Collective. All the information you need on how to give a toy through the Big Ten TV toy drive is on 10TV.com as well. It's right on the homepage and in the featured links. Thank you for joining me this week for Face the State. I'm Doug Petcash. I'll see you next Sunday at 1130. That's again Doug Petcash, courtesy of our sister station, WBNS 10 TV. From their Sunday morning public affairs program, Face the State. A new edition can be seen this morning at 1130 on 10 TV. This is Columbus Perspective on the Fan. Coming up in a couple of minutes, I'll talk with the Executive Clinical Director of the On Our Sleeves Initiative at Nationwide Children's Hospital. Former President Donald Trump is facing several charges related to his role in the January 6th attack on the U.S. Capitol. As a result, some people have pointed to a section of the 14th Amendment that says government officers who engage in insurrection are disqualified from holding office. We previously reported whether the law applies to a president is unclear. But Verify viewer Ed wanted to know, what about members of Congress? So let's verify. Does the insurrection clause of the 14th Amendment apply to Congress? Our sources are the Constitution, the Congressional Research Service, the New York City Bar, and Citizens for Responsibility and Ethics in Washington. The answer is yes, the insurrection clause applies to members of Congress. It says that anyone who violates their constitutional oath and, quote, engages in insurrection or rebellion becomes disqualified from holding any government office. And it specifically lists members of Congress as an example. But who decides whether they engaged in insurrection? The answer to that question is less clear, as the amendment doesn't lay out any process for its enforcement. In theory, someone could be disqualified as part of a criminal sentencing, as the result of a civil action, as part of an administrative action by a state board of elections, or by an act of Congress. Any one of those actions would likely face legal challenges potentially all the way up to the Supreme Court. That's in part because the insurrection clause has been used so infrequently there's little precedent for enforcing it. Since its creation during the Civil War, it's been used only a handful of times and only once in the last hundred years. That was last year when a state judge in New Mexico ruled that a county commissioner was disqualified from office for participating in the January 6th attack on the Capitol. But the law has not been used to disqualify a member of Congress in more than a century. With your Verify, I'm Casey Decker. Thinking of buying a home, the Ohio Housing Finance Agency can help. We have programs designed to help make home ownership part of your future. The Ohio Housing Finance Agency's Ohio Heroes, Grants for Grads, and Your Choice Down Payment Assistance Programs are all designed to help make purchasing a home affordable. To learn more, visit MyOhioHome.org. Sponsored by the Ohio Housing Finance Agency, aired by the Ohio Association of Broadcasters and this station. This is Columbus Perspective on the Fan. Hi, this is Dave James, and on the phone with me, Dr. Ariana Howitt, who is the Executive Clinical Director of the On Our Sleeves Movement for Nationwide Children's Hospital. Uh, it's a mental health initiative, and also she's a primary care psychologist. How are you? Good, good. Thanks for having me. Thanks for talking to us. We're going to talk about mental health and the need for folks to discuss the importance of it. First, tell us about the On Our Sleeves Movement. 
so uh, our mission at On Our Sleeves is to give free, evidence-informed resources to every community in the U.S. with the goal of helping everyone to understand and promote the mental health and wellness of all children. And the name, I guess, is when you call it On Our Sleeves, uh, if you wear something on your sleeves, it shows, and I guess that's a problem with kids that they don't show such emotions. Exactly. Our name comes from exactly that, this idea that kids don't wear their thoughts on their sleeves, and so we really have to check in and talk to them and give them the skills to talk about their mental health and take care of their mental health because we really don't know what they may be going through unless we're, we're checking in. And a study that just came out recently in the Lancet Medical Journal talks about mental health on a worldwide basis comparing mm-hmm. 29 different countries and some pretty eye-opening findings there. Yes, you know, they had they had findings such as the, the fact that half of the population, as you mentioned, worldwide can be expected to develop one or more mental health disorders by the time they're 75 years old. And, you know, of attention to us and on our sleeves was the finding that the age of onset, so when that happens, is by 15 to 19 years old. So we're really talking childhood and early adulthood as as the first time that someone may experience a mental health diagnosis. And all of these uh, sort of findings, too, are coming in the wake of the pandemic and maybe a lot of information that came out before that. And we keep hearing about okay. how, you know, even just a couple of years of a young kid's life where everybody's wearing a mask could be traumatic to them. Yeah. And, you know, what's interesting is that these numbers are global. But they're very similar to a, a study that the CDC released, and that was actually pre-pandemic. The CDC collected data from 2009 to 2019, and their age of onset, they said, was half of lifetime mental illness will start by age 14. So very similar findings. And again, even pre-pandemic, we were already seeing concerning trends of kids um, having more thoughts of hopelessness, depression, anxiety, thoughts of suicide. And so the the pandemic, of course, made it worse due to all of the stress, the changes, the isolation. Um, so, so definitely when we're talking about mental health, we need to be talking about the children too. Mental health and mental illness, uh, certainly there's still stigma about that. It's, there's been a lot of effort to try to reverse that. And yet in a child's world, I would think that They don't think that deeply about that, whether it's stigmatized or not. They see somebody in some instances where that's somebody I can make fun of if they if they're prone to do that sort of thing. Yeah, of course, if we teach kids, right, the adults are in charge of of creating that understanding and empathy of others. If no one explains to a child what mental health is or what mental illness is, why someone may uh, behave differently than them, then yeah, they, they may turn into that making fun of because it, it's different from what they're used to. Right. Uh, one thing that gives me hope, though, is that children do seem to be more aware of mental health in, in terms than adults. And so it's, it's really incredible with my patients. You know, they'll do things like bring a friend to therapy with them. Or they'll come to therapy and say, hey, I told my friend all about that skill you taught me. So now we do it together. So there seems to be less shame and more openness in, in the younger generation right now. And I hear from parents all the time, like, I'm playing catch up. My child will come home using these terms that I've never used before. And, and I'm trying to understand how to, how to go along with them and how to support them. So, so there is 
there's hope there, too. Yeah, that's interesting, too, because I think every generation, uh, as we get older, we realize that the younger generations, because of all the resources available to them to learn, are smarter, or at least if they have intellectual curiosity, are on a much uh, faster start than the generations before them, and there's a lot more room to grow and learn. Yeah, there's so much access to information now, right, with with the Internet and and social media. And, of course, that's why adults are really important because that information may not always be correct. And so on our sleeves, that's our goal, is we want to give the correct information, the science-based information to the teachers, to the parents, the caregivers, the coaches, so that they can guide children with the right information um, and, and correct anything that the child may get from TikTok, for example. And one of the things that I guess you, you did a study a while back that showed that parents are, are very mindful of mental health issues with their kids, but reluctant or kind of lost in how to talk to them about it. Yeah, it's, it's interesting, but not surprising. Many parents that we talk to tell us, I'm the first generation to try and do this. You know, I didn't grow up in a household where we talked about mental health. So even though I know it's important to talk about it and check in with my child, I don't know how. I didn't have a model growing up. And so one of the, the campaigns that we launched was called Operation Conversation. And it was all about giving the adults the tools they need to start the conversation, but also to keep it going because that's really important. If I if I ask my child something and they open up and they share something very personal, the way I react is going to determine if my child is going to trust me and keep opening up or if they're going to close off to me. And so we really want to give those tools to help open the conversation but then keep it going and build that positive relationship between the parent and the child. Talking with Dr. Ariana Howitt, she's executive clinical director of the On Our Sleeves movement for Nationwide Children's Hospital. It seems like any subject that somebody's reluctant to talk about, and I'm even thinking, like in the workplace, if there's a new employee there, that everybody's kind of reluctant to find out more about them. Once you somebody breaks the ice and starts talking, it becomes natural and much easier to get to know that person. And I would think that even with kids with mental illness or whatever's bothering them at school or whatever, once you start talking to them about it, they're more likely to keep talking about it. Absolutely. You know, I love that you bring that up because the Surgeon General released a report this year talking about how, uh, as a nation, we are more isolated and lonely than we've ever been. And it's interesting because we have all this internet and ability to connect, yet we're so lonely and so isolated. And and especially after the pandemic, I have kids tell me, I don't know how to socialize anymore. We were we were quarantined for so long that I am nervous or I forget how to. And so that's why we encourage the daily practice. The more we talk to kids about random, silly things that are not deep or important, it, it's just building that skill of talking, right? So then when I am worried or when they have something they're worried about, bringing that up feels more natural and less scary because, oh, we talk every day. We have check-ins every day. I know how to do this. It's just like any other skill practice makes it better. This seems like a really critical time right now for kids because, you know, it's the beginning of a new school year. For a lot of kids, it's a whole new set of teachers. It could be a new school. It could be a new bus with a different route and different kids. Uh, And if something goes wrong on the first couple of days with maybe a fellow student or a teacher, that's a problem waiting to happen even deeper. Absolutely. Back to school, 
Transitions, really. Any transition is a very important time, as you're pointing out. So we do have resources at honorsleeves.org right now for back to school. And, and again, they're free. Anyone can access them. That helps talk about this transition and not just the conversation but then the habits you want to build in the child what routines do you want to set helping them organize helping them practice ahead of time walking to the bus stop or walking from their locker to their classes all of those things and then again the conversations asking them how they're feeling about the start of the school year problem solving together a lot of kids had a a tough school year last year because again they're still catching up from all the missed time during the pandemic and we know that when kids feel behind at school they feel frustrated it tends to show up as behavior and so that's really stressful for teachers too and so we're creating these tools to help the parents and the teachers set kids up for success because as you're describing one bad day can spiral into a lot more if we don't intervene early. So let me give you a couple of uh, scenarios and just uh, walk us through in your own way how a parent might deal with this. What if the kid comes home from school and, and obviously something's bothering them and you find out they are being bullied and they're afraid? And then the other scenario, what if you find out your child is the bully? Yeah, that's a great question. When it comes to bullying, we really want to check in, you know, if my child is being bullied, we want to, one, make sure we're checking in with them to find out that it's happening, that they're telling us, and we want to sometimes even be preventative, talk to children as they go to school, like, hey, some kids may be mean, they may say things, they may act a certain way, and who are the people that you can go to when that happens, or what are the actions you can take when that happens? We recommend a lot kids finding peers. We know that there's strength in numbers. So if I'm being bullied and I go and stand with other peers or I go find my friends if I have friends, that that's going to help protect me against that bullying. If that doesn't help, if if that strength in numbers doesn't help, then I recommend that kids go stand by the teacher. You don't have to tell because a lot of the times kids are like, well, if I tell it gets worse and that's true. So you can go stand by the teacher so at least that they can see what may be happening. And then, of course, if it does get to a point where there's a safety concern or it's not stopping, then then I do absolutely recommend talking to the school staff. Um, But I always want children to have an adult that they trust and that they identify, whether it's in the school or at home, to talk to about bullying. Um, and then your question of what if what if my child is the bully, that's really important because we often only talk about the child being bullied, but the child who is bullying, that may mean that something's going on for them and their mental health. Are they witnessing something at home? Are they witnessing something at school? A lot of the times the bullies are being bullied themselves. And so checking in with how they're feeling, what's going on, and finding them the support too is really important. You know, it's interesting how uh, you see a lot on Facebook. Older folks will say, when I was a kid, you know, my neighbor was allowed to yell at me and, and hit me even, you know, back in those days. Mm-hmm. Um, and they paint today's parents or, you know, everybody is walking on eggshells and too afraid to do anything about it. What is your take on that sort of attitude? Yeah, I love that you bring this up because I agree with you. I see it all the time on social media. You know, the term gentle parenting is is such a trend right now. 
And I, I, what's happened there is that it's been taken to, to be something that it's not. What we want is children to be validated. Your emotion is right. What's not okay are the behaviors, right? So I often will tell a child, yeah, it's okay that you're angry, but you cannot hit other people. What are other ways? So we really, as adults, have to set boundaries. We have to create rules and expectations. Kids really need rules to, to be okay with their mental health and they need their routines. So while we want to validate emotions because we all have them, we can't validate all behaviors. We have to then have children understand that there are consequences and there's still, you know, things get taken away or privileges are not there. You still have to have those kind of, you know, grounding the child or taking a toy away. That still has to happen for them to learn. Talking with Dr. Ariana Howitt, she's the executive clinical director of the On Our Sleeves Movement for Children's Mental Health at Nationwide Children's, also a, a, a primary care psychologist. And I read that you spent a lot of time with Somali and Latino immigrant children in Columbus. Tell us a little bit about their plight. How are they doing locally? Yeah, um, you know, it's tough because we know, as I mentioned, through the, the CDC data that, that children's mental health is, is at a crisis, and that has been declared by the Surgeon General and other pediatric associations. And we know that those numbers are even worse for children of diverse backgrounds. Um, not only are they exposed to you know, a, a lot of systemic stressors and what we call chronic stress, but they're not able to access mental health treatment and resources at the same rate for a lot of different reasons. And so we do worry about, you know, for example, immigrant families like those that I work with that may not have the language to navigate our system or may not understand what is mental health. Uh, you know, for example, working with Somali families, I learned that there is no word for depression or anxiety in Somali. And so being able to then navigate that cultural barrier and explain depression or explain anxiety so that then they can um, understand why the child needs therapy. And so... It's really difficult when our mental health system and our mental health professionals don't reflect the population that we're serving. And so we not only have to navigate the mental health concerns, but also the, the cultural differences, which can be hard. Wow, that's interesting. And I saw that when you were in college, too, you, you were involved with UNICEF. So you, you have a lot of, uh, you know, I think all that's interesting because Nationwide Children's has kind of almost seemingly out of the blue become like the second largest children's hospital in the country. And there's a lot of international implications with that. Yeah, yeah. So I'm I'm originally I'm an immigrant myself. I'm originally from Venezuela, and I moved to the U.S. as a as a teenager. And so I experienced a lot of what my patients are experiencing that difficulty with adjusting to the new culture. It's really hard for immigrant children because they adjust a lot quicker than their parents. And so there's what we call in the research and acculturation gap, where maybe the child speaks the language, understands the culture, and the parent isn't quite there yet. And so that can lead to a lot of conflict in the home. Um, and so it, it's really hard. It's something that, again, I experienced personally, navigated personally. And so I think it only um, allows me to understand the families I work with a little bit better. But again, um, we have to diversify our work field more so that we can have people that do have that understanding um, because it, it goes beyond just the language. It, it is an understanding of the experience, too. 
Dr. Ariana Howitt with uh, Nationwide Children's Hospital with us. As we wrap up, I wanted to give you a chance to say anything else you want to add and, and then also to uh, let folks know how they can tap into these resources from Nationwide Children's. Well, I just, I, I want to leave people with knowing that, you know, even though I keep talking about this crisis and the concern, that there is a lot of hope, that there is so much that the science in the mental health field has found can be protective for children. There are habits that we can build in them, just like we talk about eating your broccoli and exercising for your physical health. There are things we can do for our children and their mental health to protect them from life stress, and and that's what we talk about. So onoursleeves.org, our resources are all free, and we really focus on that. What is that upstream prevention, ways that I can build that resilience in my children so that they're ready for, for life because life can be hard. Dr. Ariana Howitt, Clinical Director of On Our Sleeves. Thanks so much for your time and the information today. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. This has been Columbus Perspective, a weekly public affairs presentation of The Fan, heard each Sunday morning at 6 on WBNS AM. That's 1460 ESPN Columbus. And Sunday morning at 7 on WBNS FM. Sports Radio 97.1 The Fan. Join us again next Sunday for Columbus Perspective.